What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 lock. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode four, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, The Broca Divide. That's right. Uh, I also want to make a note that uh, we are finally live, Brent. We're actually on Google Play Woo-hoo! Podcasts, and uh, we're on Spotify Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. So go and find your podcast wherever you find them, and rate us, review us, give us a five-star rating that helps people uh, find us, and uh, let us know that you are listening. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. if you are listening and you have any questions or comments, you want you can get a hold of us at uh, our email address, which is Walking through the Stargate at gmail.com. Uh, mm-hmm. That's spelled exactly like it sounds W A L K I N G T H R O U G H T H E S T A R G A T E at gmail.com. Don't make a mistake. That's true. Don't, don't make a mistake. Don't screw that up. Well, so, I'm super excited to talk about this one. Yeah. Okay. I really am. All right. So before we jump into that, let's go through a couple of uh, background facts and trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is written, uh, sorry, written by uh, Jonathan Glasner. He's one of the co-creators of the show, uh, directed by William Garrity. Uh, this is the first of 12 different times that uh, William Garrity has uh, directed Stargate SG-1. Uh, nice. Also, the original air date was August 15, 1997. And Brent, if you had checked calendar you would realize that if we had recorded this at the time we originally were i.e yesterday Uh it would have been the uh, 21st birthday of this particular episode so i had noticed that and i uh uh, haven't yet hoisted a drink in its honor seeing as now it's legal to go ahead and buy a beverage but uh Uh, so we say happy birthday the happy birthday uh, a couple of things to add to this. This is the first appearance of Terrell Rothery. She played uh, Dr. Janet Frazier. Uh, she'd become go on to become one of the most regular, non-regular characters in the show. Hmm. Uh, beloved. Uh, you will see her lots and lots over the run of this nice. show. Uh, Good. So that's exciting. Uh, this is yeah. also the uh, first appearance of Steve Mackhedge. I'm not certain how you pronounce that. He played <laughs> Colonel Makepeace. We will see him again. Uh, yeah, so he's one of those jarheads that you just seem to love so much. Oh, my gosh. I have so many things to say. Okay. Anyway, so carry on. Yep, yep. Um, the title of this episode is The Broken Divide, and as made reference to in the, uh, in the episode itself, it uh, refers to Pierre-Paul Broca, who was a French physician, uh, anatomist, and anthropologist, and he is best known for his research on Broca's area. This is a region of the frontal lobe that has been named after him. By the way, I am actually quoting Wikipedia here. I just figured I'd uh, note that uh, Broca's area is involved with language, Uh, and so his work revealed that uh, the brains of patients suffering from aphasia contained lesions in a part of... uh, a particular part of the cortex of the brain, uh, and so recognized and helped discover uh, where uh, that that uh, art of language in our brains uh, exists. Also, if you read anything about Broca, he was a huge racist. Mm. He believed Europeans and Africans were different subspecies, and Europeans were intrinsically smarter and better and more intelligent and all of that stuff. Mm. Uh, that's not 
cool. Nope. Nope. Not cool. Uh, that said, uh, there were plenty of uh, uh, scholars and scientists, even of Broca's era, who criticized Broca on this and uh, called him basically, this is just scientific racism. Uh, that was uh, so. Is there hope? I hope there's hope. For Broca? Um, so, one of the neat things about uh, Broca's era. Uh, region of the brain uh it affects aphasia uh and it generally impairs the speech output uh such that uh, you understand what's being said but uh, whenever you try to speak something weird comes out instead of what's normal uh mm-hmm. there are other types of uh aphasia in areas characterized that uh, uh have other things which uh, impair the ability to comprehend the language uh, and also, finally, uh, the Broca Divide. Uh, I did a quick Google search of this. I wanted to know a little bit more about this Broca Divide because that was the yeah. name of this episode. And right. I didn't find anything. Yeah, neither did I. I there, was looking too. There, there, there's, there doesn't seem to be a Broca Divide. Uh, clearly, in the episode, they're trying to lay out some contrast uh, and, and between the moment when Homo sapiens moved from not being able to comprehend language and create language physiologically and cognitively to that flip, that that sure. moment when they flipped and were able to do that. Um, but that's not actually talked about as the broke divide. No, anywhere that I found. It, yeah. So, I mean, it's, well, we'll get into it. I, yeah. I'm, that's another thing I'm super excited to talk okay. about. So, uh, with that, then I think it's time to jump into our plot synopsis. Are you ready? Yes. Uh, once Let's again, do this it. is coming from the Stargate Command Wiki. After a briefing in which Major General George S. Hammond reveals that the refugees the SGC teams, including SG-1, brought back from Chulak, SG-1 and SG-3 head to the planet designated P-3X-797. Upon arrival, they find themselves attacked by a group of savage, primeval men living in the forest-like animals. They scare them off and walk out of the darkness into the light. Once out of the forest and in the light, they find a beautiful civilization that appears to be of Minoan origin, which fascinates Dr. Daniel Jackson immensely. The locals refer to their land as the Land of Light, and the savages in the forest as the Touched. Citizens of the Land of Light, afflicted with a curse, devolve into savage beasts and are banished into the dark. After returning to Earth, Lieutenant... Lieutenant? That's a mistake. After returning to Earth, Dr. Daniel Jackson... Whoa, okay. So this is not my mistake. This is a mistake on Uh the wiki. Uh, Let me try that again. After returning to Earth, (laughs) Dr. Daniel Jackson begins... Uh Wait, no. What? Ah, okay. So, apparently, this guy actually has a name. And oh, I who? Who? Uh, uh, Lieutenant Daniel Johnson. So, Lieutenant so, okay, Daniel Johnson. So, after returning to Earth, Lieutenant Daniel Johnson begins to act irrationally and attacks Oh, Teal. him! So, yes. wow! They gave him a name, and they gave him so... Uh, Lieutenant okay. Johnson? Do not attack Dr. Jackson. Yeah. Dr. Jackson? Leave Lieutenant Johnson alone. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... What's your vector, Victor? Other members, in any case, let me let me try that paragraph again. Wow. <laughs> so this is my mistake, not theirs, but uh, anyway. Eh, whatever. 
Whatever. After returning to Earth, Lieutenant Daniel Johnson begins mm-hmm. to act irrationally and attacks mm-hmm. Teal'c. Yeah. Other members of SG-3 soon start displaying the same symptoms as the touched. Captain Samantha Carter tries to seduce Colonel Jack O'Neill, but he realizes she has the mysterious disease and takes her to the infirmary. Later, when Daniel expresses concern for Carter, that's Daniel Jackson, not Daniel Johnson. <laughs> Later, when Daniel Jackson expresses concern for Carter, Jack becomes unaccountably jealous, insisting she's not yours to care about, and assaults Daniel with Everyone realizing that Jack has the disease, too. As a result, Cheyenne Mountain is placed into lockdown with Stargate Command being cut off from the outside world until a cure can be found. Very heavily sedated Jack asks Dr. Janet Frazier to experiment on him in hopes of finding a cure, but she refuses. Teal'c returns to the planet with Daniel, as they are the only members of the SGC except for Frazier, who haven't come down with a disease. Teal'c brings back a blood sample of the untouched for Frazier to analyze, but Daniel is taken by the touched. Frazier realizes Daniel and she were not infected as a result of their antihistamine allergy medicine, and the, and the curse is actually a disease targeting histamine. From analyzing the blood, she concludes there must be something in the diet of the people in the Land of Light that acts as an antihistamine, which, if eaten more often, will prevent the curse. In one of the isolation rooms, Fraser then tells Jack and Tilk that she has a cure that could help. Jack volunteers to be the test subject with Fraser giving him the dose. As Jack falls asleep, Fraser tells Teal'c that they have to wait with Teal'c later lying Jack down and placing a blanket over him. The next morning, Teal'c is interrupted by someone banging on the door of the cell he's been guarding. When he opens the slide, it's shown that Jack has returned to normal, the infection having, the injection, not infection, the injection having worked. After some minor confusion over Jack calling Teal'c Lucy, Jack is later released, and he and Teal'c set off to find Frasier. A while later, thanks to Frasier synthesizing a cure that is lots of antihistamine, the SGC is finally brought out of lockdown with everyone infected being cured and operations returning to normal at last. In the embarkation room, the team receives guns from a soldier, while Frazier explains that by hitting one of the touched with the darts, uh, they should become be more than... Yeah, let me try that again. In the embarkation room, the team receives guns from a soldier, while Frazier explains that by hitting one of the touched with the darts, that should be more than enough to starve the disease altogether. She then wishes them good luck before leaving, while Jack and Sam debate as to whether Daniel's still alive. When the Stargate opens a wormhole seconds later, Jack tells Sam, let's find out, as the team goes through the Stargate. Arriving on P3X797, the team head to the area where the touch reside and discover Daniel is still among them, but unfortunately, as a result of not having his allergy medicine, Daniel is now one of the touched two. The team soon use darts loaded with Frazier's cure for the disease to take down all the touched, with Sam attempting to inject Daniel, only for Daniel to attempt to attack her, which is ultimately halted thanks to Jack shooting a dart into Daniel's body, which leaves Daniel and the rest of the touched unconscious. 
SG-1 then arrived at the temple in spite of the villagers objecting and explained to the people the curse is reversible as well as their lost family members will be returning. When Daniel awakens back to his normal self, he serves as proof to the people who rush into the forest. SG-1 follows and witnesses a moving moment of reunions as the former touched, now cured of the disease, reunite with their loved ones. They give some medication and aid to the land of light so that none shall ever be touched again, and having made new friends, return to Earth through the Stargate. And with that ends The Broken Divide. Which was a delight, I must tell you. The Broken Divide, compared, especially especially compared to Emancipation, holy moly, this thing was like <laughs> night and day. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, which is, you know, is totally apt because the planet had a night side and a day side. See the, how I did that there? I see that. Uh, well, Just yeah. Smooth as silk. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was great. This episode was great. Woo! I told you you'd like it. Or at least the show. I did. I did like it. So tell I me did what like you it. I was disappointed about the though. show. What, what made it so good for you? Yeah. So I, um, <clears throat> there were, there were, the majority of joy that I took from this show um, really came from a thousand tiny little things. Like, in aggregate, on the whole, the episode itself was fine. It, um, it was a pretty you know typical infection slash we got to find the cure slash we found the cure story oh no it's taken some of our own you know i mean like that's that's that arc is pretty um you know pretty normal but in this episode there was like there were a thousand tiny little things which just felt um uh very comfortable as far as storytelling sci-fi storytelling television sci-fi storytelling went mm-hmm. right so like um and also some inside stuff that I was just cracking up at. Like at the very beginning, when it was revealed that uh, SG3 was made up of a bunch of Marines, I was thinking back on my um, my prediction about what the episode Emancipation was going to be about. And I said General <laughs> Hammond was going to call in the Marines. And there they were. And I'm like, you see? You see? I told you he was going to call in the Marines. And there they were. There Granted, they were. he didn't like their methods, but that's another matter. And then... I didn't quite appreciate it. I don't know if they said it in the episode. They probably did. But I didn't catch that the lead Marine guy's name was Make Peace. Oh, yes. The dude's last name, <laughs> Make Peace. And I was just like, after I read that, I was like, oh, this is this is fantastic. And, and, like, and he the, is yeah, the 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 uh, uh, epitome of of that uh, stereotypical uh, marine yeah. jarhead type of yeah. character. And he's make peace. <laughs> oh, he will. Oh, he'll make peace. All right. Yeah. There will be peace when he's done. Oh, man. And so then there was all this other stuff here. So, like, yeah, it was that great thing that i love about science fiction where they kind of talk about something but not really like the land of the light and the land of the dark and i was i I was in i was in it was intrigued and yes i immediately recognized that there couldn't be um such a clean uh uh horizon between light and dark and it wouldn't be like you know and like the 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 trees wouldn't you know like everything was wrong like right, you know, i get right. it in there real life it wouldn't, wouldn't work like be that a forest if it was no. actually a, a dark side of the planet correct yeah but you know what i didn't care uh, you know I, I was and also you know like the light side would be unbearably hot you know what i mean that it was it's all that jazz um 
it, it wouldn't be this idyllic scene but on the same token like i wanted to know more about this planet tell me tell me more about how this could be like i understand how a synchronous orbit can work but clearly something else is going on here because there's folks you know enjoying a lovely life uh with a what looks like a beautiful climate uh, right next door to a place that's pretty inhospitable well, i don't know it it's just dark it's not even inhospitable it's just dark yeah like tell me more i want to know about this place and you know it's small potatoes it was it's just a little a minor plot device but i kind of like that stuff which gets me into the other thing that i like so much i'm that weird nerd that likes techno babble i love it when (laughs) they start going on about ridiculous reasons why a thing is because it just feeds my uh just feeds my idea engine and i just kind of brew on it and think about other connections and wonder about other scientific phenomena and so yeah like stupid stuff like why are these system names so hard to deal with why can't we think of something more clever and it's like well it's because it's based off of a i guess it was a binary output right of the uh algorithm that was trying to figure it out and of course i'm like chewing on that one going that's kind of weird that it's like you know p3 blah dash whatever that's is is like a binary sure fine i'll buy it and you know it was a gag for a little bit (laughs) but hey they spent like a good 35 40 seconds talking about the naming convention that's right and it comes back at the end as a gag yes yes uh and then like and then there's the strange pathogen the thing that's affecting everybody and how is it actually working well guess what we're gonna have a two and a half minute long explanation <laughs> as to what's actually <laughs> happening as opposed to just giving me something who knows what but no we're gonna go ahead and tell me it's it's feeding off of histamine and we can use antihistamine and i'm not even sure that would actually work in real life but who cares it was, I was fun. really enjoying it it was very fun and then to stop the <laughs> to stop the infection the infection which alters physiology i will add <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like, turns a person into a literal caveman. We're going to... Yeah. We're going to administer, like, not just, like, any antihistamine and, like, wait for a week. No. We're going to, like, come up with some... Instantly come up with some concoction that we can fire from across a forest that's going to hit somebody in the shoulder and change them in hours, if that. Like, (laughs) it was wonderful. I loved it. Well, great. And then... So, uh, one thing I will completely confess to in the middle of all this is that apparently we're having some internet weather going on because there's a little bit of a lag or gap between when I hear Zach, when Zach talks and when I hear him talk. So we'll just deal. But, uh, what was the other thing that, oh yeah, uh, (laughs) I loved that in the same way that it seems like there were, uh, uh, people that work on the base that like are, have come to terms with their own death because right. they go into that uh, that self destruct mode all the time. The phrase "lock down the mountain," like I think it was said a few times, and I was just getting tickled by that whole thing. It's like, don't lock down the base, lock down the entire mountain. Yeah, so that means NORAD is locked down too. Yeah, like the whole like fine, like you know, it's like it's like I, I guess it's the equivalency of like lock down the building. Doesn't matter. I don't yeah. know. It just felt huge and epic and wonderful and so cheesy and, but i also i also I just i have fun with that that uh, phone call that, that the general has at that point in time he's like well yeah. sir uh yeah. my recommendation is if you see anybody trying to escape the mountain you should shoot them on sight and then have you their body burned sight. and i'm yes. like yes <laughs> i mean it's just so matter of fact and it's just like yes boom i'm like whoa <laughs> wow and, and if Right. And of course it should be like, you know, 
it sets the stage and there's some tension, but it's so like, I don't know. It's such predictable tension, but I don't care. Right. Like mm-hmm. maybe it's my reaction from emancipation that I'm just so like pleased with the story arc and the acting and the direction of this particular one. But I was loving it even down to the, <laughs> it really took me a while to figure out just exactly what Richard Dean Anderson was doing. Like, because he was his mouth looked like he was screaming but the noise that came out of his mouth was something else and it took me quite a while to kind of appreciate that he was kind of doing this like screech like and it might have been the audio so i'll i'll also side note a little bit i'm noticing that at least in the past couple of episodes one problem i've been having with using the stargate command streaming is that the um theme music during the opening credits it something is weird, man. Yeah, like they got some, that. they That's got some weird. crazy compression problem going on because it just sounds like garbage. So part of me, now that I'm looking at this, I'm wondering if Richard Dean Anderson was actually screaming and the comp- and the compression artifact just made him sound like a pterodactyl. I'm, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now that uh, I mean I've been watching this mostly on the Stargate Command app as well. But yeah. as I recall from my numerous view, uh, viewings of the DVD, is that it, it's pretty standard. The sound actually I have felt has been pretty good during the show. It's just the yeah. opening song. It's just and the opening. The, the credit that's just wonky on that. I don't get it. Yeah. No. I mean, everything else is fine, but whatever. Anyway, so yeah, so he's just like, <laughs> like this yeah, strange, yeah. like, it was delightful. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then he goes from like this, like, quasi sentient cave dude that, you know, can like, Huff out a few words, which were really tough for me to understand. Yeah, right. Like I was struggling to get, I and whatever into like you know, tail. I'm fine, Lucy. I'm that Lucy. I'm home. Bit. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, I was audibly laughing out loud at the Lucy. I'm home. Bit. I am not Lucy. I am not Lucy. How can I be sure you're back to normal? You called me you, Lucy. You identified me as Lucy. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I was jamming on that. This is the episode that we really start to see some of the character develop from these kids. Uh-huh. You know, it just starts to, uh, it, it, there's been hints of it before, but this this in here, like this Lucy, I'm home bit, and, and Teal's response to that uh, just really, really highlights their relationship mm-hmm. uh and, and that uh you know uh o'neill is going to be this wisecracking type of guy um mm-hmm. which is not the same type of character that that kurt russell played in the movie uh right. but it is what uh fits richard dean anderson very very well and it just uh you start seeing it in this episode that's exciting and i'm also kind of realizing right now that um I think that that might have made a lot of the humor in Star Trek The Next Generation work as well with uh, Data and his inability to understand jokes until it's like his his confusion about jokes at first. And then there's a little bit of moments where he's basically processing it. And then and then like, you know, the 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 script calls for him to sit there and be like, ah, explanation of joke that is very flat. And, and you know, like it, <laughs> yep. it, 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 th- that same level of humor was in this, like, yeah, I, I'm not certain you are. Well, uh, <laughs> you identified me by Lucy. Well, I, also I, keep great. in mind that, I mean, in our culture, if you say Lucy, I'm home. We all have this sense of the Lucille ball show and, and yes. all of that stuff. And, uh, but, Tilk wouldn't have access to no, that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you say, Lucy, I'm home. And all you can think is like, 
what the heck is he doing? Now, one thing I am mourning is that uh, we're quickly getting to the point of having an entire group of watchers of this show not understand the Lucy M. Home reference. Like... Well, maybe not it may be timeless i mean it's before our time and we know what it is but, that's true um, that's true i mean the lucille ball show ended way before either one of us came onto this planet so yeah right um you know if you wanted me to know tell you what the 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 storylines and and themes of the lucille ball show are i couldn't tell you nope uh except but for that know, one time she eats Lucy, chocolate i'm home you know i, I know right. that much yeah so so yeah, and then my you know the last little note that I had as far as like good things about the show is like the 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 motivations felt plausible, right? Like you know, like there was the 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 whatever the people that lived on the planet. I can't remember what they were called. Uh, um, yeah, the people. The oh, land of like people. Even, yeah, sure them. But I even forgot about like the whole like that moment that um that doctor that doctor Jackson, not Lieutenant Johnson, Doctor Jackson. Um, that he was lamenting the fact that they couldn't study the uh, the culture that they were looking at, and I was the, I, w- I was feeling the exact same thing at the time. Like I was like, mm-hmm. as soon as the it opened up and they were coming on in, and they were you know like uh, the 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 bullheads and such on the uh, for the decoration, I was immediately like, hey, is this episode going to talk a little bit about how they uh, how they how how these folk evolved into this spot? And no, it didn't. And he's complaining about it, and I'm like, yes, I'm feeling <laughs> the same way. Tell me more. So, you know, that was fun. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, there was a couple things, though, that I thought were not so great. Okay. Did you want to talk about anything else no, that you liked I, about I, it? I or? don't have a whole lot of stuff. I mean, I can just repeat what you did, but that's no fun. Yeah. So, All right. uh, let's, let's just get into move the, on. Let's get into the meh. The, one of the meh was the last line of the episode. Right? Oh. That was the last one where... Oh. where um, O'Neill is, uh, you know, where O'Neill and Carter are having a moment where they're kind of like, you know, like making up sort of. Uh, and then like O'Neill like flips it around and is all like, yeah, don't you forget it. Sweet cakes. I want to see you in that little tank top number. It's like, what? Yeah. Oh, come on. They're, 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 uh. That definitely screams the, the late nineties there for you. Uh, in, in terms of, of, uh, communication between folks yeah uh yeah no, that, that then lame yeah so but whatever i mean it was i think that the reason why it was it felt so lame was because it was so um it stood out like a sore thumb right like it th- that kind of that particular type of banter wasn't even present at all uh i don't think in the whole episode uh, that one line that he said about um Jackson having a girl on every planet, notwithstanding, um, like, you know, we went back to having Carter be a person that is competent and uh, capable and, uh, you know, contributing to the group on her own merits. Uh, oh, but don't, you know, but but we can't we can't let it go too far without uh, bringing uh, bringing back a little bit of the uh, 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 chauvinistic aspect of uh, some of the some of the main characters here. We can't can't let it go too far without uh, bringing that back. Yeah, I, and, I, I'm going to I'm going to. Pull the, pump the brakes just a smidge. Uh, I'm not going to defend anything there, um, but this is a hint of a possible. You know, I mean, the, there there is some tension between 
uh, 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 O'Neal and Carter uh, on a uh, relational level. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, positive tension, generally. I mean, it's not like you know, you know, do they fall in love or not? Okay, I'm gonna spoil it. Dang it. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. This, all right. This fine. is starting to uh, tease out just the the ever so bits of that. Um, Got it. But uh, yeah, you're still right. You're still right. Uh, they use that for this purpose. I mean, but yeah. So so it, it it's a bit of a beef of mine. You know, obviously. Uh, I, I went on and on and on last time about how much I hated that. Um, and so then I kind of see it again here and it's like, ugh, more puke. Yeah. Well, the, but there's, uh, a, but there's a big sense of, of you know, the, the writers are trying to figure out how to write for, for uh, these characters, especially Carter. Uh, this is something that mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up in episode one when we were talking about the pilot uh, that I completely forgot about. So I'm going to bring it up here uh, because it's a big Mm -hmm. difference between the original pilot and what you watched. Uh, Oh, yeah. So when you remember when Carter first is introduced, Mm -hmm. right? You know, remember, there's a lot of chauvinism around that table. Yes. Right? Yes. Well, at one point in time in that she says, which is cut out of the version that you saw, something in the order of him, just because my reproductive organs are in the inside instead of the out, doesn't mean I can't handle the blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's actually... um, You know, so that was just... that when, When it came to the recut, they cut that because... Duh. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, when you hear that then, and you start hearing these last couple of episodes, uh, you do see, uh, again, some of that struggle. And I think this is one of those moments they're struggling to figure out how do you write these characters? How do you show a strong woman uh, who isn't, you know, how do you show a, show a strong woman? Uh, yeah. And and such. Um, yeah, and... Uh, I'm uh, again willing to completely be looking at this within the context of its time, late nineties, a uh, science fiction, popular science fiction show running on a major network or, you know, whatever cable network thing. And in uh, all of these tropes are just as present today as they ever, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like I'm like sitting here just like saying, Oh my gosh, this is so, this is so amazing that they look at all these terrible situations or, you know, I mean, it's, it's not like, uh, uh, it wouldn't, it's not, it, it feels like there are worse, uh, examples of our entertainment past that are more groan inducing than this stuff. Uh, it just happens to be, uh, something that, uh, I've, noticed and i understand how trivializing it can be very insidious or it's very delicate or difficult to see and so um yeah so you know as i'm watching this now in 2018 and uh being the person that i am and giving giving the feedback about this yeah this is the stuff that i'm calling out because it's like oh my gosh like look at this imagine uh you know imagine having a conversation with somebody where you where you are like you know calling somebody sweet cheeks and telling them well i mean he doesn't call them sweet cheeks but you know what i mean like it's it's a thing where like at least for me and mine that's kind of cringeworthy and there are other people where that isn't but that's not them that's me so but anyway 
Yeah. The sad yeah, thing is that, was that thing. while we are better at that today, we still, um, in our daily lives, still run into that type of uh, behavior and we struggle with yeah. that. Um, yeah. But no, it's true. And then uh, there was uh, the the only other note that I had as far as like a bad thing was just a little bit of, um, I don't know, I wouldn't really call it a plot hole, but it was one of those moments of kind of like, really, this this never really happens. I I felt kind of early on uh, a wondering about why the touched stayed on the dark side of things and, you know, like they never seemed to. It wasn't implied that they ever came into the light side of things. I don't know if they tried this or not. I don't know. Maybe they did, and they just kept, you know, maybe yeah. maybe they were, you know, they, they they were doing it out of a out of a sense of preservation or what. I don't know. It just it just felt a little peculiar. Like you know, once they go, once they're banished to a spot where like a humanoid is probably going to suffer for the rest of their natural life, uh, that they would make no attempts to go the 150 meters that way to get back into the light side of things. So you know. That, that that that's one of those spots where I would say, Brent, don't think about it too much. Don't think about it so hard. Yeah, okay. no. yeah. Uh, there is one thing that I want to kind of bring up and, and kind of mm-hmm. chew on a little bit. Uh, and this and, and, uh, delves a little bit more into the philosophy, some of the, the, the thought about what's going on. You know, um, uh, Teal'c is going back to the planet and uh, notices that the one guy's daughter is is out there, and he's like, she's dead. Mm-hmm. And Teal's like, no, she's not dead, she's there. And and he's like, look, she is touched, and we can't do anything for her, so it's just as easy to consider her dead now. And he asks, how mm-hmm. can you be without heart? Or and mm-hmm. and and I just wanted to to sit there and, and wrestle with that. I don't know if I have any coherent thoughts about this. Maybe you do, but but just imagine. I mean, what do we do with that? Um, yeah. You know, when when we get to you know somebody who has been changed so much that they aren't who we know them to be, and they're mm-hmm. a danger to us and to everyone, uh, are they actually dead? Right? Um, is there a, a responsibility that that we as a society have to those people? Right. Right. And, you know, clearly this episode is making the case that, you know, indeed we do, um, that uh, that which makes them them never leaves. In fact, it even was said as much. Uh, nice, uh, nice doctor who we're going to see more of, uh, you know, um, right. one of her lines was essentially saying to the effect, you know, like you're still in there, O'Neill, or something like that. Right. Um, and, and, and then so, how do you manage that with the reality in in the Minoan culture, uh, in this show, at least, uh, they don't have the technological drugs, uh, and, and, uh, understanding of things to, to get to that point. Yeah. And so are, are they wrong? I think that if this particular thing was expanded into something of like a novella or something, you would be able to kind of get into that question a little more as it stands within the show. They kind of had to get to the point. And so as a result, there are these godlike creatures who swear they're not gods. But as far as a technological difference point of view is concerned, they might as well be. Um, 
uh, bringing about a new understanding about this uh, this curse that has afflicted these people. And it's played a little like, oh, you silly people that don't understand science. Um, you, you're, it's forgivable. It's totally understandable why you don't, but you don't. And we're here to tell you what's what. Um, whereas if it were if the story were able to expand out a little bit, there probably would be opportunities for that thought experiment to play out a little bit more nicely like okay fine in this particular case it's like you know give them give them a big old shot of benadryl and they come back but let's talk about these things that are beyond our science and understanding that still impact the same way when you have a person that you thought you knew or you did know and they are no longer the same person anymore for any reason like pick your reason like are they are they dead to you now? Is this a new person that's in front of you? Does it require a new set of rules? And in this case, this culture's set of rules was, uh, this is a new person that we can't deal with, so we're going to put them in a spot where they can't hurt us. Like, that's, i got to tell you, that's perfectly forgivable in my book. Yeah, but at the same time, though, our... our is there something intrinsic in who we are to being who we are? And, you know, like if I get into an accident and uh, have brain damage and mm-hmm. don't respond the same way I do now, does does that mean uh, we're allowed to just take my body as it is and even myself because I'm still alive. I'm still there. I'm just different mm-hmm. now. And and just, you know, lock me up into some weird place and forget about me. There's um for my two cents, I think that there is a difference between um protecting one's self and restricting another. And it's a subtle difference, and sometimes those lines blur. But in a perfect, pure sense, as I'm thinking about it, if there's a question of a fundamental altering of a person, there's it. For me, it hinges on the question of who you want to be, right? Do you want to be the person who will take care of an individual who is completely nothing like you knew them to be um, because of some other reason? Then that's fantastic. That's that's a great definition about who you want to be. And you will be making different choices than if you're the kind of person who wants to um, protect yourself, uh, perhaps uh, against a person who uh, is uh, so much different that they now represent something of a harm. Um, You know, it's, it's tricky and nuanced and there's probably not going to be one clean answer for every person. Right. And and certainly in this situation where the touched are are physically violent, yeah. and and uh, you know the only way to protect yourself is to uh, either remove yourself from them or to you know physically. Um, you know, lock them up into a room mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. tie them up or whatnot. And that certainly changes the reality of it, uh, uh, of what's going on. But I do think this is one of those moments in, in Stargate where, where they ask a pointed question and, and it's worthwhile for us uh, as audience members to dig in and, uh, totally. and think about it. Yeah. So, uh, I think, Brent, we're about that time where it's uh, time to review this episode and give it our rating. Ratings. So, ratings time. Out of seven chevrons. I got it right yeah. this time. Can you believe yeah. that? 
I also yeah, I can. wrote it down. That helps. Yes, that's how you got it right, and, and that's perfectly and, acceptable. And just to you know, peek under the hood there a little bit as I was writing ratings out of seven chevrons, I started to write Nakwada, and I'm like, no, 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 that's how, wrong. Like. That was like a that was a casual like flipped. I know. Like Nakoda was just like arbitrary. Whatever. All right. Chevrons. Chevrons. Rating out of seven chevrons. Ratings out of seven chevrons. How would you rate the Broca divide? So the story itself, like I mentioned, was a bit formulaic, but that's okay. And uh, uh, it uh, definitely had a number of those standard trope things that uh, that I was talking about in a positive sense. Uh, taken out of uh, the project that we are in uh, if I just saw this episode with no other information about the characters and never saw the characters again it probably wouldn't be as fun of a, of a situation as it is as it stands it happens to be within the context of this bigger project that we're doing so I really enjoyed so many of these little points that I was bringing up which in total turn into the experience of a show uh, of a beloved show i'm probably going to be seeing or remembering little aspects that i saw in this one in future episodes and it's going to be delightful so as a result i am giving uh the broca divide a stunning six out of seven chevrons Ooh, six out of seven chevrons this is way top notch up there you can't get much higher than that no i like it the the difference between this episode and last week's episode well last time's episode it was remarkable that whereas emancipation i couldn't wait for it to be over uh the broker divide i was hungering for more i think that that is a good indicator for a good a good rating yep yep um so I like this episode. I think it's a it's a wonderful episode for all the reasons you mentioned. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think it's quite a six in my book. I'm going to give this a five, though. Uh, no. I do well. Like that's it. fine. I'll uh, I'll bring that average up. There you go. Well, you know, we can't agree on everything. <laughs> we can't. No, we really can't. No. It's fine. <laughs> so Brent gives it six out of seven chevrons. I give it five out of seven chevrons. And you listeners, tell us what you would rate yeah. the Broken Divide. Send us an email. Email, walking through the stargate at gmail.com and let us know yeah. uh, your thoughts on this episode here that Brent uh, clearly thought is the best episode so far. So far, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Brent, as we do, we move on to the next uh-huh. episode. The next episode mm-hmm. is called The First Commandment. Yeah. What is the first commandment about? Okay, so this is this is where my good Christian upbringing is really going to uh, 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 have a bit of a blow because I'm trying to recall precisely the first commandment. It's like, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, I think, if I remember right. So if that is accurate, which I'm going to go with because that's how I'm going to go, um, the team uh, comes across an omniscient force that they cannot understand, uh, and that force... Uh, utters a phrase that is so reminiscent of the not, of the uh, aspect of thou shall not have other gods before me that they are struggling with this conundrum of have we really encountered God or are we just in front of a being that is so powerful uh, as to resemble God and is of course doing all those things that are annoying and doing godlike things and really getting in our way so I'm basically reciting the plot line of at least two or three Star Trek episodes as I'm thinking about it right now um <laughs> But that's okay, because we're going to have the Stargate twist on it, which means that at some point, uh, uh, not Rob, because he's dead. Who's the other dude? The serpent guy. He's going to come uh, in Apophis. out of nowhere, Apophis, and he's going to like totally kick the butt of this imposter god, but that's 
bad because, of course, that means that they are within close proximity of the SG-1 team, who's not quite ready yet to face Apophis. And so it all go, boils over into a big cliffhanger at the end. Wow. What do you think? Yeah? So that that I, I am flabbergasted at how accurate <laughs> you... Are not. Are no no. All right, okay. fine. So a- after your amazing uh, plot synopsis of the first commandment, without having seen anything about it, uh, let's yeah. take a listen to the promo and uh, we can talk about it. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's All go. right, here we go. A search and rescue mission sends SG-1 after a renegade officer. People here, they believe he's their god. But when this corrupt captain uses the Stargate to play god, I'm creating a great people. In your image? An entire planet needs a savior. I'm... This is pretty close. Do as he says and you will die. On the next Stargate, SG-1. Yeah. Hey! Holy moly! I mean, granted, there's no uh, there's no Apophis, and it's not a being so powerful as to be unexplainable. But uh, you know, yeah, that was all right. That was pretty almost close. Yeah. Almost, almost. Uh, you know, there there's some stuff to it. Uh, so that is the first commandment. And if you want to know what Brent actually thinks about the first commandment, uh, yes. you will have to tune in to our next episode. Uh, uh-huh. With that, do you have anything else to add? I think I'm good for now. Okay. This was a great one. This was a good one. a great one. time with this one. So uh, uh, with that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. This has been Walking Through the Stargate, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.